You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. Okay, so uh, you ready to go, Dave? I am ready. Uh, 11.30 a.m., KZOM, Oleander, Oregon. It's me and Dave. Dave, how's it going? I am well. Good. How are the goats? Uh, they are hungry. Okay. And uh, how are no, those? No, I just fed them, but they're still hungry. <laughs> I just fed them 30 minutes ago, but they're still hungry. So it's not like they're not eating, but that's just the nature of goats. Yeah, yeah. How are those goat coats working? They seem to be going well. It's, it's, it's the temperature's dropping, but uh, they seem to be fine. Yeah. I think... Uh, I think I think one reason that we're uh, uh, experiencing so many listeners in New Zealand is because of all the goat talk. Could be. Could be. I, Good people, New Zealand. Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry, Bell is New Zealand. Uh, and, New Zealand. And I want to say hello to all of our listeners in Kenya, and all of our listeners in Canada and Germany, and uh, throughout the EU and England and Ireland and everywhere else. I mean, thank you all so much for listening. We're super happy. And everyone who... uh, Oh, what were you going to say, Dave? No, and I would just say, if against some miracle that, you know, somewhere in New Zealand that Zoe Bell is is listening, call me. Okay, I'm going to show my my ignorance about uh, pop culture. Who's Zoe Bell? She, she's a she's a stunt woman who uh, has been in a lot of movies, but she was the person that was tied to the top of the car in uh, Death Proof. Oh, okay. I don't know. You got me off on talking about Zoe Bell, and I forgot. <laughs> no, uh, all of our listeners all over the world. Oh yeah, yeah. I wanted to say thank you to all of our listeners all over the world, and also all of our lesson- listeners who uh, have started listening to our show because they heard about uh, someone who they knew or uh, a podcast host that they like, like uh, Derek from uh, Monster Kid Radio and anywhere else, all the, all, all the cool people, uh, writers and whatnot who have uh, been part of the show so far in 2020. 2020, quite a year. Quite a year to uh, yeah. start a new podcast. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's been a it's been a year, but you know, I would have to say that the podcast has been part of, at least for me, part of the thing that's kept me sane. Oh yeah, yeah, sure. For me, it's been, uh, uh, I don't know, it's like I was, I was thinking about it, I was like, oh, living in Portland, living in Oleander, which one's crazier? But I have to say the podcast and uh, building my guitars and all that kind of fun stuff has been keeping me sane, for sure. And... Uh, yeah, and, and, and it's December now. Uh, this this episode, we're going to be talking about some elves. We're going to be talking to a writer, I believe. Yeah, so we will be talking to uh, Edward Stone today. And um, this was actually part of our, even though you know, you're know you listening to it online, you'll be uh, in December. This will be part of our uh, Pulp no- November. Yes, yes, it will. So yeah. Hey, oh yeah. So I and we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about pulp influences on him and his writing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and you know, so let me in case you know nobody else has, you know, season greetings. This is you know, this is the beginning of the holiday season. Oh yeah, happy holidays, everyone, and uh, all over the and, world. And this is your this is yeah, and this is your first 
Christmas in Oleander, right? Yeah, yeah. We haven't set up our... Uh, ha- uh, I always say Halloween instead of Christmas because I prefer one holiday over the other. Uh, yeah. I haven't set up my ha- uh, Christmas decorations yet just because, one, I don't really have much except for a strand of lights. And I have an inflatable snowman and an inflatable Santa. So that's... That's 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 it. And we were gonna. I was gonna talk to you about that. Yeah. So so. The snowman and the lights are fine. Okay. Cool. Cool. But it is illegal in Oleander to have Santa Claus decorations. Huh. And, and that dates back. It was 1949 Christmas time. Uh huh. And where this maniac in a Santa Claus suit and an axe attacked the little sisters of Melanie Nunnery. Whoa. Killed 19 people. Huh. So ever since then, I mean, even though it was 71 years ago, uh-huh, uh-huh. this very night. What? Um, yes. Um, so Santa Claus decorations are illegal. Whoa. Um, and um, this is not a good month. Uh-huh. to commit crimes because sort of well so the people of Santa of, of Oleander have had to replace Santa Claus with something oh yeah and so there's a whole bunch of different things maybe we could talk about on different days uh-huh but one of the big ones of course is Krampus okay and so misdemeanor crimes committed during the month of December. The penalty is Krampus beats you with a stick. Ah. Now, you may think, not the real Krampus. Uh-huh. Uh, somebody gets to be appointed Krampus. And um, they get to beat people with a stick. I mean, yes. And so that is, and you'll probably start seeing them walking around. Um, it, it's it's uh, Jack Stark, Minion. And you can imagine how a guy whose nickname is Minion has tons of oppressed feelings and emotions. Um, so, yeah, you probably don't want to commit misdemeanors in town. I mean, so if you're going to do something in December, bump it up to a felony. But it's, it's better off. <laughs> or, or, or go do it in Sandy. <laughs> yeah. So, Become so, Ben's problem. <laughs> yeah. So, um... You know, so it's it's so things like you know, uh, you know, my 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 friends, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, Bjorg and Sven and Sven. Uh-huh. Yeah. So that they're um, uh, Norwegian Orthodox. Mm-hmm. So they, you know, they they put up. They don't put Santa Claus. They put up, you know, Saint Nicholas, the actual saint, because okay. you know, he's, he's part of the Norwegian Orthodox Church too. Sure. So that's okay. And, you know, I know a couple of people, you know, put Father Christmas stuff. But, um, you know, the big one is Krampus. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and I think most people, at least in the last five years, last probably last decade, mm-hmm. are aware of who Krampus is. But it's kind of a new thing in America. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, are you aware of the, the Krampus legend? I am aware of the fact that... I'll, I'll tell you what I know about Krampus. Uh, okay. Goat 
devil demon thing. Uh, basket. Okay. Children uh, in the basket. Uh, whipping people with reeds. Uh, big long tongue. And mischief. And uh, apparently there's festivals in Germany where people dress up like Krampus and run around. But okay. That's, that's yes. I think, literally everything I know. And I think there was a movie uh, that uh, Adam Scott was in. And uh, from what I understand, it wasn't very good. Uh, and uh, other than that, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I know about Krampus. Okay. Yeah, so that, that's basically it. Um, now, there's a possibility. Uh-huh. We don't know if this is true. But Krampus may have actually been originally created by 15th, 16th century Benedictine monks who basically wrote it as, you know, uh, in morality tales. Okay. You know, at the end of the story is, well, if you're not a good person, Krampus will come and beat you. Sure. Um, Probably has, you know, pre-Christianity origins. Yeah. But that's one theory. Now, the official story is that he was summoned by St. Nicholas, Uh um, who later, you know, became Santa Claus. Um, St. Nicholas probably was a real person. Mm -hmm. He probably was a Greek bishop living in now what we call Turkey. All right. Uh, We associate him with um, Santa Claus because there is the story that... um, you know, that there were three daughters that couldn't afford dowry, so they couldn't do that. They were going to be forced into a life of prostitution. So he threw gold through their window, you know, so that they could pay their dowry and get married and have a, a decent life. But he was so shy, he didn't want people to know. And we've associated him with Santa Claus. Okay. Now, he probably is a real person. We have none of his writings. We have no contemporary writings mentioning him, but that would not be uncommon uh-huh. in the seventh century and the reign of Diocletian. You know, most of the writing would be some sort of papyrus that did not survive. Yeah. So all of our stories of of, of Nicholas come much later. Huh. But apparently, there's one of these stories that I always sort of is that he summons up Krampus to basically punish people, and, and, and I just. Uh, I don't know. I just always found that amusing that there was this story that this Christian saint was basically, you know, raising devils and performing magic to bring up devils and to punish people. And and he's basically the good guys in the story. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's some crazy stuff. I I, I can't remember. So and and like I said, it may have been the Benetines who made it. but Uh We don't know really where Krampus came from. Huh. So, what else can you tell me about Krampus? Well, do you notice that a lot of things, like if decorations, you notice that Krampus has a motorcycle, and he is driving Santa uh, in a motorcycle. No, I hadn't noticed that. Oh, so if you look, you see a lot of pictures, a lot of pictures of, of and, you know, Krampus will be driving a motorcycle, like an old 30s motorcycle, uh-huh. and you have a sidecar, and Santa Claus rides in the sidecar. Uh-huh. Okay. As near as I can tell, that's because Germans and French people like sidecars. Yeah. Okay. And like motorcycles, and so that they—that was like an added around the 30s or the 40s, just from the from the Germans or the French. Huh. Um, 
But, yeah, so here, you know, like I said, since we don't have Santa Claus, you can go to A1 Grocery and Taxidermy, and, and, and your kids can get your pictures taken, uh, you know, on the lap of Krampus. Whoa. Cool. I'm going to have to go take uh, Barbacoa and Dusseldorf down to get their picture taken with Krampus. Yeah, I, I'm not sure if they're doing it this year because of, of COVID-19. But, oh, yeah, yeah. But, I, always, uh, I, I forget about that. Everyone has to remind me. I mean, and yeah. then I but, freak but, out but and he's wearing have like mask, five right? masks in my pocket. But yeah. Yeah, he's wearing a mask, so you know they probably are. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I'll have to. I'll have to talk to you. So yeah. So if so if you decided that Santa Claus giving kids coal uh-huh. isn't vindictive enough, you have Krampus. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. I mean, uh, I, I'm next week. I'm going to be talking about uh, another another. Uh, I don't know what to call a uh, Belschnickel, but a... Uh... We, we, we call them Santa substitutes here. Oh, okay. All right. I was, I was like, what, what, do you, what do you call them? <laughs> yeah, we call them Santa substitutes. Santa adjacent? But yeah, Santa substitutes. All right. That's what yeah, we'll be Santa calling. Yeah, Santa adjacent. <laughs> All right. So uh, up next, uh, what do we got going on? We're talking to... So we've got a... We have um, a interview coming up from uh, November with uh, Edward Stone or Edmund Stone. Cool. All right. Well, I'll uh, put that into the deck right now. We'll listen to that, and then we're gonna we're, we're gonna talk about some elves. Yes, we are. All right. So let's do that, and we'll talk to you uh, after the break. There. Okay. And if there's a point where you just want to say, hey, I got a question, I don't know, um, mm-hmm. and, and you want to stop recording, that's fine. Daniel is a very good editor. He can cut things out unless okay. he's in trickster mode. Luckily this oh, week, nice. the editor was not in trickster mode, but in secret Ooh. stealth whisper mode. How are you all doing? Remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Boo. Everywhere you find podcasts. Dad. I was not here. You did not see me. Boo. This did not happen. Duh. You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. Oleander. You are listening to Radio Free Oleander. And we've got a really special guest here. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let him do the honors of introducing himself today. Okay. My name is Edmund Stone, and I'm a horror author, writer. Um, I do, but uh, I do uh, like uh, short stories, novels. I have uh, love poetry, things like that. Um, I have three books now. Um, two of those are self-published um, short story collections, and I have uh, one that is a novella. Uh, by the name of Lost Hope, which is the one I'll probably be talking the most about. <clears throat> it's um, published through Terror Track Publishing, uh, a new ter- a new company uh, started by uh, Becky Naren is the name of the publisher there. Great company to work for, very personable. I like, I really like what I'm doing there so far. And uh, Becky is an awesome artist, so she does some really awesome covers. 
<laughs> yes, Lost, uh, Hope. Lost Hope is the name of the story. Yes. Okay, and oh, we're gonna let the dogs go. Sorry about this, Daniel. Please cut out the dogs. I please. Why? I'm surprised mine aren't barking. They typically do. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. Welcome, welcome to Oleander, Oregon, where dogs have right away. Okay, so we're talking about the lost hope, and um, that's under my understanding. It's sort of a a hybrid uh, science fiction cosmic horror story. Yes, yes. Um, it's set in a future reality. Um, mainly, it's it's set on like the 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 the, the idea of um, similar to like say maybe uh, Blade Runner or something like that but a really dark history or future and um, where corporations pretty much own everything, you know, similar to where we are now, but a lot darker. <laughs> and the corporations control all, and they basically, uh, this a group of people decide <clears throat> um, they are kind of a, an offshoot of, they're, they're kind of their own uh, uh, more or less organization or cult kind of thing. And they decide to put together some really brilliant people to take a mission into space. <clears throat> well, what they don't realize is that everything goes wrong. So, <laughs> but that's the horror part of it. <clears throat> um, it. It starts out the idea is wonderful. They're going to do. Uh, they're going to colonize a new planet uh, away from Earth. Start something brand new. That there's no corporation influence or anything there. But along the way. Um, a certain passenger is born on the ship. He becomes a type of, um, he, he kind of gets a more or less an Oedipus complex kind of thing because he loves his mother, but at the same time, his mother, as, as we start the story, is dead. His father is also dead. He is in love with a passenger on the ship who is the last remaining passenger there. She's in a pod going towards this planet. When she wakes up, because he was going to wake her at a certain time, she realizes everyone's dead but her and the guy that's running the ship, which is incidentally not the same guy that was running the ship when she went into the pod. <laughs> so it's pretty, you know, that's where the whole premise of the story starts from. Uh, you hear him talking, and then after that, it, it's all the first person through him. But after that, then you hear more of uh, the the um, the the uh, you hear more from her side of the story, which uh, her name is Brielle Holsinger. He is Gage Ozymandias Reihes. His mother named him Ozymandias after the poem. So that's where we are. That's how the story starts out. Um, and then you can imagine from that point, she wants to know why everyone's dead, and he isn't giving her the best explanation. It, it sounds like you, you used the uh, the uh, uh, unreliable narrator trope in this. It, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Which exactly. is one of my favorite tropes. Uh, it's, so, it's, oh. It is interesting because it gets, you know, I mean, obviously you, you as immediately you see the uh, you see the, the character, the, the main uh, uh, protagonist. Well, actually, the main the, the protagonist is basically her. But. The protagonist wakes up to a very unfamiliar and what's happened and where am I kind of situation with an antagonist who is 
trying to provide her with the best information he can, but he's maybe not telling her the whole story. So that's what you end up with. <laughs> Excellent. So what? Um, so this um, November is our Pulp Noir November. Oh, wow. And so I was kind of curious, you know, what influences on this story, but your other stories, um, obviously both science fiction and as well as horror, and were any of them pulp stories or more modern? Um, you mean the stories I have right now, or are you talking about my Yeah, so the, what, what, what are your influences? Oh, okay. Um, well, <clears throat> basically my, my, I mean, probably as far back as I can remember, my influence would have been, uh, uh, my first influence, influence as far as horror and that kind of thing goes, would be Poe. Uh, Edgar Allan Poe, I used to read, I loved his stuff. And, I mean, he's an influence for a lot of people, I understand that, but he kind of got me reading his stuff, reading, I remember having an unabridged uh, book, um, having that, and I, I read several of his stories, you know, in there, and I, my uh, my favorite probably was The Telltale Heart, and it still is to this day, love that story. Um, but reading that kind of a dark, uh, you know, the way he the way he always brought everything into, everything he did, you know, obviously was dark, and it, it just brought that kind of a, uh, I, I was just drawn to that, I loved it. And I just, I just loved the way he could do it, and in such a poetic way. Um, that kind of started me on after that, um, I kind of started me on to, I tried Stephen King for a little while back then. Wasn't really into King that much then. Mostly his movies, but I never really read him then. Uh, Clyde Barker was probably my next influence. Um, and then, uh, somewhere in there, H.P. Uh, Lovecraft got kind of mixed in. <laughs> so, but those sure. were my earliest influences. Sure. And, and those were on the horror side. Uh, what sort of uh, science fiction uh, influences have have you had? Oh, uh, I mean, I'm a big uh, I'm a big Trekkie. Love tre- love Star Trek <laughs> and uh, Star Wars, of course. When I was younger, that guy got into that. Um, probably though, as far as the horror sci-fi, um, the the movies that or the movies and the and the books, the mostly movies that influenced me younger. Uh, the Thing, John Carpenter's The Thing, very first horror movie mm-hmm. I ever actually watched. And just fell in love with it. And I loved the science fiction part of it. Um, I was already into science fiction before that, but then the mix of that horror and that sci-fi um, idea just really drew me into it. Um, Blade Runner, another big popular one for me. <clears throat> uh, once I started, once I got, you know, I, I was always, like I said, at a younger age, I was into sci- science fiction. Star Wars probably started it, and then I was into Star Trek. But when, oh, I'm sorry, when the horror aspect of it came into play, it just seemed... Oh, I would just say The Thing, too, was, of course, uh, inspired by a pulp novel. Yeah, it was. It was, absolutely. I didn't know that until later. (laughs) But, uh, yes, it was. Who who goes there? Huh? Due to a slight delay, this almost turned into an Abbott and Costello bit. Who who goes there? Who goes there? The name of the the, uh, the name of the oh novel, that was the name uh, of the I didn't, I didn't realize there. that actually I did not know that I knew it was based on a novel a pulp novel but I didn't know it was called Who Goes There I thought it was called The Thing from Outer Space but that must have been the original movie that was based on editor's note yep so so uh, getting off cut so <laughs> the the author wanted it to be titled The Thing from Outer Space and mm-hmm. so a lot of early transcripts were The Thing from Outer Space. Right. But it was actually published first in, uh, in I believe, Amazing Tales as Who Goes There. So oh, you'll find a lot of the, 
lot of the versions will say the thing from outer space because that's what uh, 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 the the author wanted it to be titled. Oh, okay. Well, that's cool. I'm gonna have to do some more research on that. <laughs> you know, and you, you you mentioned, of course, one of my favorite movies is Blade Runner, and Blade Runner is basically taking noir and science fiction. You know, Alien, the original Alien was <clears throat> horror and science fiction. In fact, if you look back at the the original trailers for the movie, mm-hmm. it was billed. It wasn't billed as a science fiction movie. It was billed or advertised as a horror movie in space. Mm-hmm. So what are some other maybe things that you like about or other things you think we could combine into science fiction? Hmm. Oh, gosh. The list goes on. Um I mean, you're, you're talking about beyond horror or just other genres that we can mix in with it? Well, uh, any. Just what, what, what are your feelings at? Are there other genres or you think maybe there's a way that, that horror science fiction is going that or isn't going that maybe it should go? Hmm. I, yeah, I mean, I think there could be other areas that they're really not exploring. I mean, you know, you've got so many th- I mean it's hard to sometimes like right now with the all the dystopian kind of stuff they they kind of tend to stay in that area um yeah. and then there the whole um, you see more and more of the the time uh, continuum thing changing and that kind of horror mixed with science fiction um but i mean even movies like or shows like um the umbrella academy to some degree i mean it's not really horror but it has that kind of an element to it, you know, when you think about it, because it's got a lot of, it mixes a lot of those uh, things together. Um, yeah, if, if, if you read the, the books, he definitely, Gerard Way was, was definitely influenced by horror and, you know, with, uh, uh, with Ben's character and oh, yeah. several other things. Absolutely. Um, I'll tell you another uh, that's out recently, and uh, I just I've just discovered this whole new uh, uh, book and universe I didn't even know about was is uh, Lovecraft Country, the new HBO series. By Matt, uh, the the book uh, is based on the book by Matt Ruff. Yeah. yeah so, so just a little thought here. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I think that's the best book written in the twenty first century. <laughs> it. I've been reading it. I just I just got it. I, I, actually, it's an audible, but I've been reading it that way. Oh, it is so good. I just couldn't believe it. After I was, you know, I watched a, a few episodes of the series and I really liked it. I started reading the book and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is a fantastic book. <laughs> I mean, this should be touted a little higher. And <laughs> uh, 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 no, absolutely. Uh, and uh, and Matt Ruff really, especially when you have the character Atticus. Mm-hmm. The character Atticus is influenced by the pulps, and, and I love how you know, it, you know, the, he has this positive. This is the pulps influenced him, his creativity and who he is. But mm-hmm. in the same part, he admits that there's some very unsavory things in the history of you know 20th century literature, right? Uh, especially Lovecraft. Especially Lovecraft, yes. And it's so funny because when you read, when you see Lovecraft Country, first thing obviously you think, oh, well, this is based on Lovecraft. But but you don't realize that just like you said, you get into uh, the unsavory part of it, and it opens up a new history of things people probably weren't 
you know really paying attention to until they start uh, reading that and it's it's a very interesting book um i'm i'm real i would highly recommend that book to anyone yeah yeah like i said i think it's the best book written in the last 20 years oh i'm I'm with you on that it is so good um i know one of your questions here is how the how what influenced the book i mean to for me to write lost hope what influenced that yeah okay well, it's a little strange, but <laughs> do you remember th- this movie? It was out. I think it's a 2016. Uh, the Pass or Passengers, the one. W- it, it's not a. It, it wasn't a very highly rated movie. Uh, I think it had like um, uh, Jennifer Lawrence and uh, uh, somebody else in it. I'm not even sure who all was in it, but I remember Jennifer Lawrence being in it. Well, anyway. I watched that movie with my wife one time, and she I don't even think she got all the way through it, but I, <laughs> I went in and got through the movie because it had some pretty good character, or actors in it. So I started watching what, what, one of the One of the MCU Chris's, I think. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Um, yeah, well, anyway, I got into that, and the Passengers idea, it just started, I, I just started forming the idea of, man, that would be horrible to wake up in the middle of a, of a mission and all of a sudden everything you thought was going to happen isn't going to happen and now you know you realize that you know you're in a bad spot here and you got to make it work for you well that was the idea that i came up with i saw that and i thought man this this could be a really good horror story right here you know this could really work and uh what if we just took that concept and just threw it into a whole different area and uh built around that and make the character who uh, who woke her up a lot crazier than the character we're dealing with here. <laughs> so um, I started with that, and then, you know, obviously my influences came out, like Aliens, The Thing, all that. Um, there is one aspect of this book that people may not realize right away, but later on is the, uh, there's a, there's kind of a cannibalistic aspect to it at some point. Um and that's part of it too. So <laughs> I'm not really sure where that came from. I'm still trying to figure that out. But anyway, it worked well in the story, and it definitely added a level of fear and horror to it that that you probably wouldn't normally get from a space story. But it added a really good aspect to that. Excellent. Well, I'm excited about getting the book. Um, <laughs> now you you mentioned Lovecraft. Yes. And one of the things I think Lovecraft is scary, not because he's got these monsters and these alien gods, because the center point is that the universe is this deep, dark, uncaring. It mm. it, it doesn't even notice you little and care about you. Yep. <laughs> is, is that sort of an aspect? I could see that as being part of a, a, a story, you know, of a spaceship that, you know, in ways it's the crew, the ship. <clears throat> against this uncaring universe the same way you know sailor stories were you know the crew of the ship against this uncaring ocean right there you go that, that exactly that, that makes perfect sense to me um yeah i mean you know you have um in my book you have the horror of being in space being in a spot where you can't get a hold of anyone you're stuck out here but also the fact that inside the ship maybe the, the horror's worse than outside. I mean, who knows? You know, you're, you're dealing with both things there. Um, and it, it adds to the desperation of the uh, protagonist. Well, that sounds like... Um, I know, this is definitely a book I want to get a hold of. And it's called Lost Hope. Lost and, Hope. And how, how can we get a copy of that? 
Um, it's you just go to my Amazon page. You can find it there. Um, it's on Amazon uh, ebook version and uh, paperback. Okay, excellent. And that uh, uh, Edmund Stone, correct? Yes, Edmund Stone. Well, thank you for being uh, our guest on the Farmer Dave Show, and um, we wish you luck. And we're going to be looking for uh, new things from you. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity, and uh, I do I do have some uh, things coming up. Um, I may actually, uh, if you is it okay if I talk about some of the other things I have coming up soon? Absolutely. <clears throat> okay. Um, <clears throat> Lost Hope. Once you get past that, there's there's a concept in the in towards the end of the book that will actually attach to my next novel. Uh, my next novel is called Tent Revival, and it's going to be through um, Terror Tract. Also, um, it's basically around a character, an old ancient character who was found in a, a small town in Kentucky, um, a small mining town. Uh, strange things start to happen because of this uh, pit that opens up in the ground. And one uh, man, <clears throat> the book opens up with one man, he's trying to find out what happened to his son. It, something happened to his son. He went out into uh, basically a coma and he's in this hospital. So the whole thing opens up there and it uh, starts to, as it goes along, it starts to open up a whole network of things that are going on in this small town starting with uh, uh, the mysterious uh, building of this tent that just comes up in the middle of nowhere. Um, a strange, uh, charismatic uh, character who know, who uh, starts all of it called the Sage. And then he is the more or less a preacher, but also other things. So, uh, but it all basically, his, his, his character is influenced by this other ancient character and they all start to connect. And it's all kinds of crazy things happen in this town. So, <laughs> oh, excellent. And when will that be out? Um, hopefully, sometime the beginning of next year. Okay. If everything goes good, edit wise. Well, <laughs> well, we will definitely let us know when it comes out, and we will put a, a plug out for it. Okay. Uh, until then, um, it's been great talking to you. Thank you. Yeah, it's been great talking to you. Thanks. Anytime. You're listening to 11:30 a.m. Oleander Community Radio. Here's the community bulletin board of what's going on this week. Thank you for listening. Stay home. Don't go outside. Stay home. Watch TV. Listen to more podcasts. Listen to podcasts. Hey Dave. So we're uh, we're talking about elves. What kind of what, what kind of elves are yes, we talking we are. about? Well, we are talking about D&D elves, not Santa Claus elves. Oh, I was thinking but maybe you know what? Keebler it's close elves. close enough, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. It's Santa adjacent. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, those those, uh, those uh, wonderful uh, cookie smiths from the kingdom of, of Keebler. <laughs> that, that, that sounds like a terrible joke from Dragon Magazine from the 80s. <laughs> I probably was. <laughs> so, so as near as I can tell, yeah, elves were added soon after chainmail became Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, and because honestly, because Gygax and that crowd, they loved Legolas. Okay, and, and they 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 were a big. 
I mean, one of the big influences was um, was Tolkien, and, and they loved Legolas, and that's why they basically got him, or that was what they kind of based elves on. Uh-huh. And so back, you know, when it was first edition, elves, you know, elves, dwarves, and and halflings, yeah, were were they weren't races you added to class. They were basically a class. Yeah. And back then, elves were basically a combination fighter magic user. I think they had eight hit points. They could wear armor. They could use basically any weapon, and they could still cast spells. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it wasn't until advanced Dungeons & Dragons that they broke them up and basically made races that you combine with classes. Hmm. That's cool. And that comes out with... Uh, uh, the pl- uh, the player's handbook in um, uh, uh, you know, a advanced Dungeons and Dragons handbook. Uh-huh. You know, the, that black one where it has the the demon and they're stealing the eye. Yeah. Yeah. So um, so that's and that is the time where they also introduced half elves. Okay. Okay. Um, which. I, I like half elves. I know I, I you play. I think you you often play a half elf, don't you? Oh yeah, yeah. No, I generally play a half elf just so I get the uh, low light vision and uh, anything else that helps you out being a bard. Yeah, yeah with five uh, E, they get a charisma bonus. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I I like the elves because uh, half elves because they were alien but also human enough. You could just <laughs> sort of. It wasn't completely sort of alienish, and uh, like I said, um, they had the the basically the high elves started out with. You know, I think they call them gray elves, mm-hmm. which ironically I think Tolkien calls orcs gray elves. Oh, okay. okay. But I, I think in the in the book, but the 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 gray elves, the high elves, yeah, they were, um, and then they had. Um, started out with the, the wood elves, and then in a, a dragon magazine came out uh, the valley elf. Yeah, and and they they I remember they ran that like in the April Fools, a uh, uh, like a, a I don't you remember that old uh, valley girl song? Oh yeah 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 Frank Zappa. They, they ran like a uh, uh, they ran like a parody of, of valley elf. <laughs> the valley the valley elves had. The Kushi. Uh huh. I don't. Re- I don't remember. I don't know if you remember the the Kushi. No. Spelled C O O S H E E. That was the that was the elf dog. Okay. Uh, and it comes from. Uh, I think they first came up in probably Dragon Magazine, but also uh, in the uh, the Lost Caverns of Soga Camp, uh, where. It's kind of like this short, uh, hyper-aggressive, short-legged collie. Huh. Um, you know, and then they have the, the wood elves. And I've always sort of thought the wood elves kind of made, honestly, I thought they were the great elf barbarians. Uh-huh. Huh. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. That's how I've generally thought of wood elves, too, as... Uh generally more or less like living like Ewoks is what I've used for shorthand when playing D&D with people who have never played D&D. <laughs> yeah. 
And then about that time, uh-huh. and um, and you know the 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 lost uh, the lost realms and Feyrun, I think really was the drought. Yeah, yeah. Or the drow. I don't Depending know. on how you want how to do pronounce, you pronounce it. it. I, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. And, and I remember when those first came out, I had some friends that were artists, and they got hit up by so many requests to do pictures of drow. Huh. You know, it was something that, it was something that the, the bad elves, the dark yeah. elves that just, you know, it just clicked. But the, see, Honestly, and, and I have friends who love playing it, and they love being the sort of you know the the, the bad guy. But I don't know if I'd ever, unless it was like a uh, an underground campaign, if I'd ever want that um, light disadvantage. Especially now, drows get hit with it. Like uh, anything in sunlight, they like have to roll two dice and then take the lower one. So yeah. I'm not sure I'd ever want to, you know, want to. Um, ever want to play a drow but I have friends that absolutely love drow yeah I've per- I, I mean I personally you know I, I, I have very 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 pale skin and mm. I, I actually take damage in actual you know in sunlight I, I, I can't be out <laughs> in the sun for longer than it, 15 minutes it, it, in real life in real life yeah so I've never wanted to be a drow <laughs> it's like no yeah. that doesn't sound like fun it's like vampires and drow I'm like I'm good <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and there were drow like in 1A original but uh-huh. I think it's about the third where you came up where you could play them as playing characters yeah i I remember uh 2.5 i think may have done something because i remember being able like folks playing drow and like uh also people playing minotaurs and stuff like that they had like monsters as playable unless my friends and i really went off the rails but i think i think that you were able to do that you were able to play as uh monsters uh, uh monstrous characters because of uh, something they did with the dungeon master's guide or yeah yeah and and now then now they're in uh one of the the primary characters in uh, 5e in the, huh. in the player handbook huh interesting they're the, the uh, yeah. they're they're a core race now yeah oh cool yeah, there is a core race so they're, they're in the the player's handbook there is they've taken all of the elves sort of well most of the the gray elves and the high elves and the the star elves and the sun elves and, and just make them the high elves or or whatever yeah, then they yeah. have the wood elves and then they have the the drow so so it's it's high elf wood elf drow in the player's handbook okay okay there's a I couple mean... of other books that are going to include some other type of elves that are um I think maybe around late three, but if you just buy the basic handbook, yeah, yes, it's the three. Okay, I mean, I, I've always kind of felt it's like that. It's it's like, yeah, no, you've got your 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 drow, your dro, you've got your wood elves who are like your barbarians who also know magic and may be like like sword sorcerers or expert archers. Or, you know, depends on the setting, depends on the region, depends on the type of forest. And then you have your high elves, and they may have a city of magic, or they may live in some kind of, like, cloud city. You know, some sort of, like, super-duper magic fancy 
I don't know, it may be a sci-fi setting set inside of a fantasy setting or something, something like that. But they're always like far beyond humans in some way, maybe artistically or something. But high elves are yeah. like almost like angels. <laughs> and I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're sort of they're so yeah, they're, they're so above us. And I, I think they got that inspired by um tolkien mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but my favorite my favorite was um from forgotten realms sure was the star elves yeah, which were okay. basically hippies okay okay because I, I remember there was something like moon elves or like something like that where there was kind of like yeah hippie elves yeah yeah so the star and the moon and they've all been rolled into the, the high elves now. Okay, okay, because I would have rolled some of that into wood elf. <laughs> yeah, or or, or the two, but I, I'm pretty sure. sure. But um, so there are a couple other variants that come up in later books. Oh, cool. And one is the Eldrin. Yeah? So the Eldrin are basically teleporting elves. Huh. But the, so they, But the thing is, they're based on the season. So okay. their physical appearance and their moods and their emotions change on what season they associate with. Huh. So it doesn't necessarily have to be the season it's in. So if they're in like an ice cold mood, yeah. you know, they have white hair or something. Yeah. If it's, you know, the, they're in the, the autumn, you know, which, uh, sort of celebrating and their hair turns like brown uh, and they can teleport but depending on how they can do or, or I think it's face step or whatever, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but depends on what causes it by like sort of what what seasonal mode they're in. Huh. Okay. And, and I've always liked that, you know, that you've got this elf that couldn't sort of like, um, you know, it could be in a good mood or, you know, you don't know because it's going to change. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, they also have, um, and, and I've had these for uh, a while, but um, aquatic elves. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Which are 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 basically Namor without flying wings on his feet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. It always always felt very kind of like Aquaman, Namor kind of uh, aquatic elves. It's just like mermaids with legs. <laughs> yeah. And, and then there's another one, and, and I can never pronounce the name, but they they tend to be bald, and, and they follow uh, they follow the Raven Queen, which is like a, this elf. Turned, they're, they're basically death elves. Okay. Okay. But uh, and so they can be like um, um, oh um, so they can have her as like their they're packed for if they're uh, warlocks. Uh, okay. I remember in the past there was uh, some sort of like aerial elves, like just elves with wings. <laughs> yes. Something out of like um, second and e. I, I, <laughs> Yeah, and uh, I don't know um, if you ever played Fantasy Craft. No, I did not. Fantasy craft was it's actually pretty decent. They basically took the the, the spy craft rules uh-huh. and applied it, which was a D twenty at the time, okay. and a, changed it to um, a fantasy setting. Oh. 
And one of the one of the was an elf was the the Swan Clan, hmm. and and so they were elves that had swan swan wings and could fly. Okay. Interesting. Huh. I'm trying to think of any other uh, elf elf uh, variables that I, I recall that we haven't gone over. I'm trying to remember the one. I remember there was one from Planescape, but I think that might may have been uh, uh, folded into something. I think that may have been. I, I can't quite remember. But yeah. Um, yeah, if anyone else has, uh, anyone out there has, like, elves that we forgot, write to us, let us know, and, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that in an upcoming Or night. if anybody's ever written and put online, I would love it if there's a rules for any setting, write up for Santa elves. Oh, yeah. You know, so they get a, a plus two crafting for cookies and toys, you know, and... You know, so they get um, instead of you know elves get swords and long swords and and do they get uh, like a hammer for a weapon? <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure Dragon so Magazine anybody, has covered that in first or second one, edition. No. <laughs> yeah. No, definitely let us know. Definitely let us know. But as I was saying, I, I'm sure first or second edition uh, covered that at some point. <laughs> I'm sure it did. Oh, man. Dragon Magazine. I miss magazines. Kind of. Yeah. I mean, I, I, at one point in time, I had, like, several long boxes full of Dragon Magazine, and then I was just like, I'm tired of moving these boxes around, and I just, I don't know. Someone in Eugene, Oregon found a huge stack of Dragon Magazines. <laughs> yeah, no. I Yeah, most of mine stayed back in California. I gave to friends. Back California, you know, and I had ones that literally were 15, 16, 17 years old. Oh, yeah, no, no, time. no. I, I, I had like single digit issues, <laughs> double digit <laughs> issues. No, I don't yeah. think I had any single digit issues. I did definitely have like double digit issues. I think like the oldest one I had was somewhere in the 20s and. It was... Yeah, I think mine was, like, in the 30s. Yeah, it's, it said, The Dragon. And I was like, what? Or, you know what? I I'm, I, I may be wrong. I may be wrong. But it, it it was old. It was really old. And I'd have to look through the old covers and go, oh, it was this one. But, yeah, it was... It was uh, I, I, I love those old, old covers and uh, the old articles. And, like, the articles that ended up becoming, like, permanent things, like you were talking about earlier like you know someone writes about something and it becomes something sometimes there's something that is a joke that people are like actually no this works for D&D not like you know communicate with mud glub glub but other times there is actually things in D&D that people are like wait a minute that's a really good idea let's use that I'm one to of the ones was uh, my friends always the uh, the uh, holy hockey stack of, of terror plus two. Uh-huh, if you uh-huh. roll a nap twenty, it knocks their teeth out. <laughs> <laughs> or, or one of the dragon magazines they had, and, and I, in fact, I used this on a, a game, uh, uh, one of the last games I played. They had this. It basically, it's Darth Vader running around. Uh-huh. It's actually a, 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 a sort of a, a steam-powered costume with a halfling inside. <laughs> I remember for the uh, various times that they would use, like, uh, parody-type stuff for pop culture, I would just, like, grab the characters and not use the names or, like, reference the characters that they're supposed to be. 
and just be like, all right, free NPCs. <laughs> yeah, or um, one of the things they had, they had like uh, the list of the orc gods before uh-huh. you know came out, and, and they talked about the renegade. Um, uh, of orcs who follow peace and, and love and, and because uh, a picture traveled across another dimension and is now their goddess uh, their goddess Miss Piggy <laughs> <laughs> yeah now Dragon Magazine was pretty cool oh yeah oh yeah yeah and I, I really love Dungeon as well and uh, one of my favorite things about Dungeon was whenever they came out with the Challenge of the Champions. I don't know if you're familiar with those at all, Dave. And not really. I, I got. I, I was mainly Dragon. I got a couple Dungeons, but not not many. All right. Challenge of the Champions was kind of a uh, uh, competition for D and D crews to compete against each other, and you're competing against a bunch of fictional D and D like other 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 murder hobo packs and uh you know like a uh, magic guild puts it on and there's a lot of illusion involved you got to figure out puzzles and traps and figure out what these sigils mean and don't open that bag because if you didn't read it right it's oh goodness this and just just a lot of kind of like uh I don't know, kind of like a way to torture your players for 15 minutes at a time. If, if, if they don't get something, they get really frustrated and then they're mad. And I don't know, it's, it's generally kind of like, unless, unless your team is really disorganized and doesn't communicate and really doesn't like each other, you're generally going to win. It's, it's, it's not complicated. I mean, it's like meant for 12 year olds. It's, it's really basic stuff and it's really fun to role play. And I don't know if, if you can track down the old challenge of the champion stuff, I'm sure that uh, they've figured out a way to convert it to fifth edition if, if it's out there, but yeah, definitely. Did, did, did you ever play an X, X crawl campaign? No, no, but I always wanted so, to. So it's it set, yeah, it's set in, in modern time where where dungeon crawling is an extreme sport, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. And the orcs, the orc, we fought World War Two against Hitler and his orc allies, and you know, and um, so yeah, it's basically D and D with cheerleaders and theme music and, okay. and prizes. You know, my group, they would get in and they would win a certificate for 100 gold pieces, plus a case of halfling hot sauce, and every member of your party gets a plus one bowling ball. Why? <laughs> Why? Why score low on your bas- on your on your bowling if you can have a plus one? Uh, see, no, it, it, was, it was fun. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Goodman Games does it, and now they've got their sort of old school D and D. I forgot what it's called, but it's now played off their old their old school D and D campaign. From you can get that from them. Uh, Goodman Games. Huh. Cool. Very cool. Check that out. Yeah. X Crawl. I remember ads for that way back in the day in the back yeah. of uh, Dragon Magazine. Yeah. Cool. All right. So. Yeah, no, and uh, everyone who's listening, if you want to listen to what we've got going on this month for Oleander Book Club, 
we have some Henry Kuttner. And the first one, I can't remember the title of it, but it has a lot of references to the Cthulhu mythos. Ooh, spooky dookie. So yeah, check that out if you want to. Uh, it's pretty fun stuff. Uh, what else do we got coming up this month, Dave? So we are going to have some... Well, it's, it is scary Christmas. Ooh. And we are going to discuss things such as uh, with a young adult writer, a horror writer... You know, does she have to pull her punches when she's writing young adult? How do you target, you know, you know, a young audience with something that's supposed to scare them? We'll also be talking to a writer, one of my favorite tropes, which is the final girl. Ooh. Are you there? Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that's pretty cool, Dave. Uh, anything else? Um, no, I just, um, uh, we'll see you, we'll see you guys next week. Oh, and we also, we still don't have a sign-off. We still don't have a sign-off, so if anyone out there, Mateo, you've written us once, write us, what, what should we sign off with? Anyone else out there? Uh, also, join us, New Year's Eve, social distancing. We're going to figure out some kind of, like, Zoom setup or something like that. We will be, I mean, Dave and I are kind of social distancing when we do this. I'm doing this from the studio. He's doing this from the farm. Uh, we will be social distancing at Oblivion's for New Year's Eve. Get oblivionated at Oblivion Zoom party or, or Skype. We're not sure what system we're using yet, but it will happen. New Year's Eve. Ow. Discord. My... <laughs> definitely something we'll figure it out so everyone who wants to be a part of that will figure it out and we'll see you then all right dave any words of wisdom bye